Hi, I'm Phil Kerner, the Tool and Die Guy, and this is The Journeyman. So how did we get here? Well, you know, about a year ago, I came up with this idea called Working Hands Radio. And to be honest with you, uh, it was a very uh, fun thing to do, but the one thing I had uh, kind of based the whole program on was it was a call-in radio show. And what I found out very quickly is that I had a lot of listeners, but not a lot of call-ins. Well, when you're doing a call-in program and you're not getting a lot of call-ins, you tend to have to do a lot of tap dancing on your own, right? So the good news was out of that whole uh, that whole situation there, I learned a lot about broadcasting. And I was able to set up my own studio right here in uh, Erie, PA. I'm sitting here right now with the uh, Tool and Die Guy Central uh, down in the bunker here in the lower level, surrounded by toolmaking history. Uh, books, prints, toolboxes, great stuff. For those of you guys who uh, don't know who I am, my complete bio is everything you want to know it from, about me is over the toolanddieguy.com. But besides being in the trade myself for over 40 years, it's been in my family for over 100 years, and it's in our DNA, right? So uh, a couple months ago, in fact, I just wanted to make sure I was right. So I finally signed up uh, for Ancestry, and I was able to find uh, my grandfather, uh, Edward, was listed as a toolmaker here in Erie, Pennsylvania, on the 1920 census. That was, uh, uh, well, almost 100 years ago, but he's 32, so we're going to assume he was a toolmaker a few years before that census was taken. So uh, back to the journeyman. Um, if you followed me at all, you already know that besides uh, teaching online at the Toll and Die Guy and on YouTube and, and stuff on Facebook, but I've become a, also an advocate for the trade and uh, turned myself in kind of a historian of the trade also. So, you know, let's think about this. You know, right now, I know there's a lot of talented craftsmen out there listening to me. And they're going to hear this broadcast. And I certainly mean no disrespect, right? Uh, I see the stuff you guys post uh, on, on, online, and there's a lot of brilliant guys out there. But, um, you know, the guys that came up in the trade in the 50s and 60s, you know, that was a different breed. And let's think about that, right? No CNC machines, no digital readouts, no calculators. So you uh, really learned the trade back then uh, from guys who were willing to share it with you. And don't forget, a lot of these guys had gone through World War II, and uh, you know the excellence uh, in the trade was you know, second to none. So the reality is, though, uh, we're losing a lot of those guys, uh, those those older guys. There's so much to learn from. Again, being a historian, if you don't like history, you got to figure it out. Because I know you're supposed to look forward, but everything you guys talk about and, and learning from uh, – people who pass the trade down well that's history the guys that you're learning from are using their history to teach you and you're going to remember back someday and teach an apprentice yourself and that's how this works that's how it's supposed to work right so case in point you know i again back to working hands radio what i always wanted to do was just tell the story of american craftsmanship and american workers people who do this for a living every day and I think there's a generation out there now, you know, I, I, we jokingly, uh, I learned a new term last year, fog, you know, a fine old guy. Uh, it's, I've been told that the uh, fine can be exchanged for another word, old guy. Either way, I don't know how we got to that point because when I came up in the trade, 
we had so much respect for those older guys. Well, it's time to get those guys on, on the air and talk about their experiences in the trade. And, you know, I guess I had a real push into this because I've been really dreaming of doing this for several months. And I work with a guy for the last 10 years, and uh, his name is Joe Zolinski. And Joe was a very talented, very talented toolmaker. And uh, Joe kind of ran the department where I work where uh, they handled a lot of the manual stuff, and hence it's called the manual department. Bridge ports, grinders, stuff like that, quick repairs. He was a, he was really, really good at it, right? And uh, it was very funny that Joe Zelinsky, on the side of his box, he had a, a white label that said, uh, Joe Zelinsky, one talented technician. Well, of course, that was a joke. Joe would have never put that on his box himself. Uh, many years ago, when he worked here at the Swanson Erie Company uh, here in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, they designed specialty machinery, and they had done some work for some big company. I believe, I think he said it was a Swiss company building this machine, and uh, they had some issues with it, the, the changes the customer made, nothing Swanson did wrong. Well, Joe led up the project to, to, to get this thing pumping out the parts just right under the supervision of this, this particular man. Well, when it was all said and done, the guy was so thrilled he insisted on calling all the staff together at Swanson Erie, and he said, that Joe Zielinski guy, that is one talented technician. Well, the guys in the shop, of course, if you've been in this trade at all, they had to you know, give him a hard time. So they had this sticker made for his box that said, Joe Zielinski, one talented technician. Well, Joe and I had a, a major battle a few years ago, and we, you know, being from our generation, though, he's about eight years older than me, and uh, we figured it out. We made up. We're good. And, uh, I always had so much respect for Joe, and uh, he trained guys one way, I trained him another way, but we both always had a heart for training young men in the trade. And Joe and I had one thing in common. We used to reminisce a lot about how we were trade, uh, trained and, and how uh, we respected the guys uh, who were training us. But uh, Joe was just a little bit more blunt than I was. If you weren't very good at what you were doing, Joe would tell you, you're not very good at what you're doing. And that was just part of Joe being Joe. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, I happened to be on vacation. And uh, uh, of all things, uh, I, I got into town late on Monday night. And uh, I had taken Tuesday off knowing I was going to be too exhausted to go to work on Tuesday. And I was sitting there doing my laundry, checking my phone for messages and that. And I got a text message from work. Sad news, um, Joe Zelinsky passed away last night. I can't tell you. I had to sit down. You know, Joe and I weren't best friends, but I, I, I realized I missed a good story. I missed not getting this guy on the air and telling his amazing, funny, funny, funny story. Joe is a is a man's man and a, a really fun guy to be around. And, you know, he went to work on Monday. He was fine. And, uh, yeah, uh, late Monday, early Tuesday morning, 1 in the morning, uh, his wife thought he was snoring, but he was struggling, and she's a nurse and did CPR on him. He never made it to the hospital. So one day Joe was there, and the next day, uh, d next day Joe was gone. So again, uh, time to get these stories out there. So that's the uh, purpose of the journeyman. It's time to start telling the stories, uh, not of just the older guys, the younger guys. We're going to mix it up, apprentices. But I want to make sure that we remember where we came from, uh, I want to make sure we remember the uh, the real craftsmen that came up when things were a lot different, a lot different, when you did everything longhand. And then your hands uh, were much more important than they are today. Again, that's not any disrespect to the guys that are out here listening tonight. Uh, we, we know there's some talented guys out there. So 
The Journeyman is uh, sponsored by Industrial Sales and Manufacturing. We'll talk about them a little later, but great local Erie company, um, ismerie.com. You can check out that website. Uh, phenomenal company, still in business after 50 years. And if you've ever owned a business, and that's what we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about tonight, is a story of a man who came up in the trade, uh, went to college and uh, found his way into manufacturing and uh, started his own shops. And the beautiful story of this guy starting in his garage and um, ending up with a huge facility, two huge facilities, $15 million dollars in business and uh, all gone in a heartbeat. So we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, after the interview, but uh, it's my pleasure tonight to bring you the story uh, of one American craftsman, Mr. Mark Prezo. Mark, are you on the line? I am. Mark, uh, I know you have a great story to tell, uh, how you got started. Uh, about what year did you start to uh, in, get into manufacturing? Uh, 1969. And in what capacity? Well, I, I started off by going to uh, school, uh, which happened to be an associate degree program for machine tool at uh, Fair State uh, College, which was now Fair State University. And, and basically, what city and state are we in here? Uh, we're in Michigan. Okay. All right. Uh, can, can you, do you mind saying what the, what the town is? Uh, the, the town where I live is Traverse City, Michigan, where mm -hmm. CNC was in, was invented. No kidding, and that's and that's where the college was. Uh, no, the college. Uh, I lived in Traverse City. I grew up uh, on the Straits of Mackinac, and uh, the college was about three hours south of me. Okay, so off you went to you went full time to college then. Yes, I uh, could not get a job in this business without having some kind of skills to sell. And I couldn't obtain any any type of training. Uh, I was fighting with the Vietnam War. I was 17. I didn't know I, I couldn't go to, you know, Vietnam. So I just said, well, you know, this is what I want to do. So I decided to go. Was there was there something in your family or your background that made uh, make, made manufacturing attractive to you? Was it what was the? You know, I mean, of course up in Michigan back in the sixties, the auto yeah. industry and everything, but was there something that kind of drew you to it? Yeah. My, my father, uh, the big thrust was when I was in the fifth grade said after the second world war, he moved to Detroit and he said, you know, the guy next door, God, he's got a brand new house and brand new Buick. And he said, well, what did he do for a living? He said, he was a glue and dye maker. No said, kidding. Sounds like a great job to me. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. Yeah. So, so you went away to college, and how old were you in 1969, if I may ask? I, I was 17 uh, when I left for school, and I was going to turn 18 at the end of October. Okay, so and how, how long did you uh, stay there? Well, I was, I was at school uh, for two years. All right. I, I, I know and uh, about the instructors you had at, uh, at college. I mean, it sounds like you really enjoyed that education you got there. Yeah, they were fantastic. Uh, they they were mostly all from the Second World War. They had all served apprenticeships. They had all served, you know, they're all journeymen. Uh, tough as nails, I'm telling you. They made it, you know, like back in that day, you had to be hustling and be fast and you had to be accurate or else you were not going to make it, you know, as a machinist, a toolmaker, mold maker. It just wasn't going to happen. And, uh, you know, if, if, you know, we had lab three hours or five, three hours a day, five days a week. We had theory 
one hour a day, five days a week. Then we had all the related other classes we had to take. So we ended up going to school uh, about 40 hours a week, uh, contact hours. And uh, what they did is if you scrapped out, you lost 15 points right off the top of the grade. So, you know, if you're going to get 100, now you're going to get 85. And they kept going right down to zero. If you didn't turn your projects in on time, you got a zero. And they, they, they taught you how to be fast, how to deliver on time, and put pride and craftsmanship in your work and make sure you hit your numbers. And, boy, I'll tell you what a great lesson I learned from them. You know, it's interesting. Um, one, of the, one of my mottos is on my, uh, on my website. I, I always talk about, uh, you know, anybody can do anything if you give them way too long to do it, right? Yeah. So yeah. learning how to be efficient and, 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 and quick or what you do uh, is a real art. And I think uh, it goes to a lot to, A, how you're trained, but a little bit, too, uh, to um, your personal uh, aptitude for working on this type of stuff. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Some people are just never going to quite get there. Uh, They're they're going to be okay. But when you were trying to get to the top, so you you finished out this degree in two years. um, And what what kind of degree was it? What was the, what, what the. It was Associate of Applied Science. And uh, the the curriculum was uh, called Machine Tool Technology. So you're 21 now or 20? Uh, Let's see. I'm starting 17. I finished it. I've probably been 19. 19, uh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. 19 years old. You've already got the two-year uh, college degree, and then, then what? Yeah. What well, happened? Well, I went to work. I was making three bucks an hour. Uh, got a job and, uh, you know, worked with some great guys. And uh, I was, you know, they had an apprenticeship, and they said, look, we're going to give you two years off your apprenticeship. We're going to give you all the credits for your related instruction. So I basically just had to put my time in the last two years, and, which is a little different than most. But, you know, uh, the first thing is you walk in, boy, you better get it right because, you know, they're going to look at you. And if you can't perform, out you go. And the first thing the guy told me, he says, look, at, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to screw with us. If you don't do it, you're not going to get it. Is there anything? So you better get it right. Is there anything more uncomfortable? And I don't know if our younger guys realize this. Is there anything more uncomfortable than being a young man and walking into a tool and die shop the first time? Oh, let me tell you. As an employee. Here I am. Yeah, I mean, I'm scared. I'm so scared that I'm not going to be able to perform and do my work fast enough. Now, I knew I could do the work. I just thought I was going to be slow. So what I would do at night, I would do all my trig, all my math, all my calculations at home. So when I got to work, Boy, you know, this guy's really moving along. He's really hustling. But, you know, that's that's the discipline you take and, you know, and that's a determination you put into what you're doing. And uh, before they found, you know, once after they found out, well, God, I can give this guy anything. Holy crap. He can do this. He can do that. Wow. I want him working with me. <laughs> nice. Nice. So you, yeah. So what type yeah. of shop was it? Was it a, did they build molds there, dyes, a little bit of both? What kind of stuff did they do there? Uh, we did, we did molds. Uh, I actually started off uh, doing die cast and gravity fed molds, which okay. formed aluminum molds. And, you know, we did a lot of machining work. So, you know, they'll start you off in machining and say, okay, let's see if this guy can really do anything. And uh, so once they find out, then, yeah, things get settled down. It was actually much easier going to work than it was to school. School was really hard. Uh, I mean, much different than going to work. Work was easy. That's amazing. You know, getting back yes. to those World War II guys, you know, uh, oh. 
they're not, not not suffering fools well and you you know when you've had people firing real live rounds of machine guns and mortars at yeah. you you don't want to really hear about uh, somebody forgot their uh, pencil that day or something crazy oh. right yeah you were you had to be prepared you better be on top of your game you know it's like uh you know i had one kid working for me here five or six years ago and i was showing him something and he goes oh my god he says you're like a human cnc <laughs> right right well i said that's how we did it that's how we did it you know yeah. it's funny um uh, you've got a, just a few years on me and uh, age-wise, and your experience is so much different than even mine. You know, uh, just yeah. the, the machines you would have run that were, by the time yeah. I came in the trade, let's put it this way. By the time I started my apprenticeship in 1980, the shaper was kind of done. Nobody's using shapers anymore. Yep. But back in the 60s, uh, every yeah. shop had a, a shaper, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and absolutely. That, was a, uh, that was a brutal uh, force removal of metal machine there man i'll tell you the floor would shake oh yeah she she could kick it off the steel boy yep no That's problem at all the, yeah we didn't even have we didn't have an edm we didn't have no numerical control i didn't have a calculator i got my first calculator i think in uh 1970 or excuse yeah. me 71 it was a hundred bucks that's about when they came out and they had the diode, yeah. the diode lights. Remember? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Texas Instrument. It was a hundred bucks. It was a week's wages for one. Oh, but what we a, didn't even we didn't even have readouts. Well, there was oh, no. they weren't available. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we used to, we actually used a, a device called Travadials. That's right. We did. And they, those yeah. were very accurate, though. Yep, they're very accurate. Absolutely. So it's uh, you had some mentors you wanted to talk about a little bit at work. Yeah, I mean. I worked with one guy uh, named Steve Tawaga. He was phenomenal. He had a box of drills, you know, he sat by his bench, you know. I'd say, give me, you know, I need a 1764s. He'd reach in there and pull it out. That guy knew every decimal equivalent to every fraction. Yeah. I was so amazed. And, you know, he reminds me so much of you. Just a professional, just a sweetheart of a guy, just wanting to help you. You know, especially if you want to help yourself. Boy, he was a great guy. And, you know, the other fellow I worked with, he was, both these guys from Detroit. This guy was from Republic Two and Die. He worked with 500 dye makers in Detroit. Uh, the other fellow I worked under, uh, he did, he was a lot more in the machining background. He worked right on Mound Road, uh, you know, in Detroit. And he said it was just strewn with shops, one after another, after another. And, you know, every Sunday there was at least 300 jobs, you know, on a Sunday. Detroit can, can, you, can, you even, can you even believe that? Oh, can my you, God, today. I, I just, I, I, I had an old paper I found here. God, I started counting the jobs from 1966. I couldn't believe how many jobs there were in this and, trade. And those were good jobs. Oh, yeah, great jobs. Those were family-sustaining jobs, right? Yep, Amazing. absolutely. Amazing. Yep. So now you're at this yeah. shop. How how long did you stick around there? What did you do next? I, I stuck around there three years, okay? And my mom and dad were depression people. My mom had graduated from high school. My dad had a pretty tough life, and he only made it to the fifth grade. Uh, but he, he spent three and a half years in the South Pacific, never got to come home. And so, you know, he was very adamant about getting an education. He said, I didn't get one. I could have done better, but I didn't get one. I want you to make sure you get one. So, you know, he really encouraged me, hey, go back to school, do something. So I said, okay, I'll go back to school. So I went back to school and got a 
there's only two places to get a degree at that time. One was in education as a teacher, and the other was in business. Well, I said, I'm never going into business. <laughs> I will go into education. All right. So, so I, I, I did that, and you know, I, I got out of there and got a job teaching in a, a vocational school in a community college. So that, and, so that, was, uh, that would have been a four-year degree? Yeah, that was a four-year degree, bachelor's degree, yep. Four-year bachelor degree in, in, uh, in trade, uh, technical education. Yep, and you're still exactly. pretty young here. You're still a pretty young guy. Oh, 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 yeah. I mean, here I am, like 23 years old. I met, you know, girls at school are 19. They were asking me to go out. <laughs> right, right. No, 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 that's not going to happen. <laughs> wow. And how were you able, if I may ask, pay for school? Well, you got to remember one thing. School was so reasonable. I tell you what, I can't believe there's anybody that made more off their education than me because it only cost 1250 bucks a whole year. Room, board, books, you name it, tuition. And I could earn that in the summer. Isn't and that amazing? paid for all my education. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. When I, after a two-year degree of $2,500, I was making 10000 bucks. I was getting four times on my investment. Well, it didn't take long to get that back. Right. That's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, so now you got your degree. What's next? Well, I, I go on to teach. Uh, I spend, oh, five or six years teaching. And, um, you know, it, it was okay. I met my wife. You know, we got married. She was a teacher, too. But, you know, we, we came to one, one realization. We could not make a living teaching. Back, at, back in 1979. We couldn't do it, and uh, you know we were, you know, as we, I wasn't even making fifteen thousand bucks a year, and uh, so you know I, I had an opportunity. We had a chapter here in our community, a MTMA chapter, and uh, the training director was there and gave a speech one night, and I was there and says we're looking for a you know training uh, training you know uh, person to help us uh, set up training programs tool and die shop so uh, i applied for that and got the job moved to washington dc and uh, my oldest daughter was born in annapolis so we lived in annapolis and then uh, you know i helped set up training programs back here in michigan and uh the, the thing is the school's still going it's part more of grand rapids community college now but uh it was a great thing because i got to meet a lot of great shop owners you know and i met two guys they owned a die shop and, you know, they said, Mark, you know, I was thinking about doing this and, you know, going into business. And, you know, and they told me, said, look, two things you got to do, deliver on time and deliver a great product. And he says, you'll never have a problem. And what year is this? This is like uh, 1980. Okay. So you, yeah. so you left, at, just a recap here, uh, after yeah. your four-year degree, you, you did some teaching in a, a vocational high school, right? Yeah, and the community college. I taught the last three years at community college. But then, in some bit, we're in between here. Uh, uh, a master's degree? Yeah, I got a. I got. Well, what was going on is that you had to get a permanent certificate from teaching, so that required, you know, I don't know if it was thirty hours or something of extra uh, training. So I said, well, I might as well just get a master's degree. So I got a master's degree in personal management. Uh, so that that and you know and then. Basically, I when I finished my education and I finished teaching, and that was pretty much it for teaching for the rest for the rest of my life for a long, long time. Not All that right. I didn't train a lot of people, but 
right. So um, after the uh, community college, you got the degree, it yeah. looks like, and then you became the trading coordinator for a while? Yeah, yep, in, in Washington. How long, that, how long did you do that? About a year. Okay. And uh, my wife, my wife, she wanted to move back home. Family was here. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, sacrifice my marriage for a job. So, so you're, you're kind of down the Annapolis, Washington area just for about a year? Yeah. But yeah. you, you yeah. met some great people. Oh, man. I met some great guys. Oh, geez. These guys, you know, all of them were, you know, guys that were mold makers and die makers and machinists, precision machining. And, um, you know, it was interesting because, uh, you know, you got to meet these fellows, talk with them and pretty big influence on, you know, I you know, I was thinking, I always was thinking about opening a business up. And finally, you know, with a little bit of knowledge about how to go about that, which I don't think anybody ever really knows. You know, I was pretty green about it. I learned all the stuff as far as being a business the hard way. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a that's a, that's a tough one. Even no matter how many business classes you take, it's yeah. a little different when you open the front door for the first time. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't yep. think most people realize uh, the intensity of the capital investment, uh, what it costs to really run a shop. I mean, it's it's scary. It's incredible. It really is. So, and it never ends. It never ends. It's so the just, teaching is over. Different. You're done teaching. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. Well. You moved back to Michigan. Know, I, I moved back to Michigan. I, I went to work in a shop as a mold maker. Here I wore a suit and tie every day and came back to, you know, I was making 45,000 bucks a year then back to $7 an hour. And, uh, but you know, that's what I had to do to take care of my family and make sure everybody was intact. We had one child and, you know, another year we're going to have another one. And so, you know, I hear him working as a mold maker and said, you know, this is enough. This is not going to get it enough. It's not challenging enough. And they certainly want me to stay, but I decided that, well, Maybe it's time to open up, uh, put a shingle out, and go into business. What year was that? Uh, that was 1981. 1981. So yeah. uh, tell me about starting your own shop. I mean, uh, two things. My first two questions are, how did you find a building, and what kind of equipment did you start with? Well, I started in my garage. Okay. okay. I had five bucks. <laughs> uh, I Things were not so great. Rosie, there wasn't much work around, but I, I was working and I was, you know, doing this in my garage at the same time. So I got some pretty long days in and uh, I started the bridge board and the grinder, you know, I started off building some small molds and, you know, I farmed out any EDM work I had and any, you know, type of cavity work that required, you know, a duplicator at that time. It was, we were still tracing and duplicating at that time, a little bit oh, of CNC, not much. Yeah, you, you, not could get me, you could get me on a tangent there. I was the big hydrotel, <laughs> yeah. hydrotel guy and duckle guy. Oh, man, we yeah. do some beautiful yeah. work on those machines. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're, and they're fast. The guys that do it, they were great. They were quick. So well, I started off with nothing, you know, and built a business, you know, into a, you know, around a 30-man mold shop. How long did that take? Uh, well, it was off and on. It was a little bigger, a little smaller at times, but I was in business for almost, well, over 29 years and uh, a lot of, a lot of tough times, you know, I mean, I don't think, I, I think everybody should be in business to go through that experience. They would certainly have an appreciation, okay, for 
the folks that are in business. Well, I, and the ones who, I have a theory know, on that. And I really, I mean, I'm with you a hundred percent. You know, I am very sympathetic to the people I work for. I mean, do I get yeah. mad at them sometimes? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because, only because I think they could do better. Okay. But I, yeah. I, I've got this belief that I will not throw the place I work at under the bus as long as they're giving me a paycheck every week. If I'm so good, I should go find another job. Right. But right. people right. don't realize they think that guy in the front office is getting rich. And it's like, I want sure. my boss to get rich because if he's getting, making money, that means my yeah. job's good. Right. But when you look at the payroll, and the health insurance and the taxes. It's enough. I'm glad I did it when I was young. You know, I was I started my shop yeah. at 31. And uh sounds about the same about you, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. um you've got the energy and the stamina to do it. But yeah. uh ooh, so twenty-nine years. And uh what was uh, basically building molds? Yep, that's all it was. That's all I did. Okay. So uh all right, so what I want to do. Just take a, a quick break here, and then when we come back, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about owning your own company and, and what the future uh, held for you uh, that you didn't see coming, yeah. okay? Sure, you betcha. Hi, so I, I hope you're enjoying what you've heard so far. And since we're talking about business tonight, you know when you do a program like this, it really helps a lot when you have a sponsor or even better, a patron. And... The patron for this broadcast of The Journeyman is industrial sales and manufacturing right here in Erie, Pennsylvania. You know, usually when I do a little spot like this, I have a script in front of me, but I really don't need one. Uh, I've actually worked at ISM now for almost 14 years. And uh, as a matter of disclosure, I guess, it would be weird to uh, ask your boss for a sponsorship because usually they see you as a toolmaker or a machinist and really you're going to sponsor a podcast. Well, they do it. And that's because they believe in this trade. You know, manufacturing has really had a rough road for the last 15 or so years. And ISM, founded in 1967, has weathered all the bumps for over 50 years, a half a century. So I'd like to thank tonight the Rakowski family. Check that facility out, ismerie.com. You know, anybody can buy a CNC machine, a lathe, a mill, but you know, when you add it all together, you add a complete inspection department, an ISO 9002 certification, powder coating, assembly. You know, it's a one-stop shop. ISM doesn't have to send too much out for subcontracting. And if you've ever owned your own shop, you know that subcontractors, you know, they can kind of let you down sometimes. So our customers don't have to deal with that. So again, thank you again tonight to uh, ISM Erie, to the Rakowski family. Again, check them out, ismerie.com. Uh, you can check out employment opportunities there. And there's even a kind of a fun webinar seminar you can take there uh, for free. So we will always make sure we take care of our patrons and our sponsors. Thanks, ISM Erie. And uh, let's continue on with The Journeyman. All right. So we are back with Mark Prizo And I uh, was talking about starting his own company. And uh, I think you told me at uh, one time, Mark, you were up to about 39 guys at the height. Well, we yeah, I was up yeah, we're up thirty eight, thirty nine folks, and then uh, you know, but you're learning the process of trying to accomplish. You know, I'm I'm a real anal guy about you got to get it right, and it better be right the first time. And all my guys that worked for me knew one thing: there was one standard: first shots, perfect part, no less than that. Will not accept anything less, and it better be delivered on time. 
Now, man, well, I have a question. Yeah. Um, you know, there's different types of tool shops. And, you know, yeah. I was trained at a shop that did very large work, uh, radiator mold, yep. big stuff. Right. And there might yep. be some accuracy required for some small parts of that mold. But, yep. you know, when a part's three feet long, nobody's looking for tenths here, okay? So um, right. just curious on, on the type of molds you built. Are you guys like a high-end, real precise mold uh, molds you're building or a little bit of both? Or what was what kind of mix of work did you have? Well, pretty much automotive, so that's going to be a mix. All interior trim, exterior trim. We we build molds from you know fifty ton press capacity up to two thousand ton press capacity. You can build. So you, you had some nice cranes then. Oh yeah, we did some pretty pretty good work, pretty big work. But the the biggest thing for me was, and this is how I dealt with my own abilities, was you know like I said, everybody understood that. And the boss said, it's going to be right, and it's going to be on time. And I had more compliments from customers. I had customers that called me, Mark, you're the only place I can go. I know you'll get it done. I, I said, I'm so busy, I can't, you know, get it done for you. I had to turn customers away. And, uh, but, you know, I, you know, it's pretty some, really something to be around 12 people, and you got your, you know, pr your mold in the press, and the guy from Chrysler, you know, has been there. 20 years and goes, you know, that's the finest first shot part I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I had other customers that, you know, we built, you know, four foot by four foot mold, you know, ran, you know, a thousand ton press, um, highly mechanicalized tool. And, you know, he, we had a 12 week deliveries, about $200,000 tool. And he came to my shop. He goes, Mark, you're in the sixth week. Are you going to get this thing done? I said, absolutely. He goes, well, I don't look like it. I don't see any steel cutting or anything. I said, don't worry. It's all in the design. That's where everything's at. Okay. And I said, that's done. We'll be done. We beat the time by about a, a day. But when we got there and we ran the tour, we ran the tour in our house first, then we sent it to him. But uh, he told me, he says, you know, I've never seen a tool built faster than that. He said, my God, the quality. He says, let me tell you. We cut 30 seconds out of the cycle time from what we quoted. Now, let's think he about was, this. In those days, yeah. Mark, we're, uh, uh, back in the 90s, a, a typical delivery for me <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, 12 to 14 weeks, 12 to 16 weeks. Were you still working on kind of that, that lead time back then? Because I know no, it's much different now. Well, no, actually, I was one of those guys first out of the shoot. I, I'm a real big fanatic on processing, okay? I mean, A to Z, straight line, that's it. And I processed every job. I did all the tracking. I did all the scheduling. I managed everything from the business side. But really, actually, the tool-making side is really about processing. You know, I have schedules at every machine. Every machine had to meet its dates. It, it, that, that area, you know, that part of the job better be here between this day and this day, and it better be done. And I could follow the schedules, manage the master schedule, and for 25 years, ran 99% on-time delivery, okay? Didn't always make money on everything, right. but we're always on time, you know? And the big, the big thing was, is how you get from A to Z, how you get there. I became much more heavily involved in burning uh, than most people in milling because I could not find the people with the understanding and knowledge of milling. Milling is a complex process. Mm -hmm. uh, Burning was uh, 
whole lot simpler for us. So we burnt a lot of our work. And the reason a lot of it was came out of, we were into so much interior trim and the trending part of it was, is that we had to make electrodes and get them style approved by the big three. And they would, they would look at these things and go over them. You know, you got to sit right in front of them. Hey, take a little off of here, go off of here. So everything was a Euro style. I remember doing work for Toyota and, and Mr. I think it was Mr. Carr. He goes, hell, you're more like the Japanese than I am. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, uh, obviously, yeah. you had some pretty powerful EDM machines, too. What was your, what was your favorite, uh, mo- what was the model of choice for you well, back you then? Know, I'm gonna, uh, well, I'll tell you what. I, I started off with, you know, I started off with some old conventional machines. So I had, you know, three or four of those. Okay. And um, Excello was one of them, you know, early on. I loved my and, Excello. I loved my yeah, Excello. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're great. But the thing was, I kept asking the sales guy, I said, one question. Okay, I said, why should I buy a CNC? Tell me the reason. It's five times the money. Why should I buy one? Well, he, none of them could ever answer the question. Right. Well, I finally, it does five times the work. Right. You know, and that's what we found. Uh, and uh, actually, you know, I could never get, because our cash flow was so terrible in automotive, it would take a year to get paid for a mold. Uh, from the how, time, does that you know, even, how does that even work? I remember reading an article about that back in the 90s, and I was shaking yeah. my head thinking, how you, you had to have an amazing relationship with your bank because oh. they, I mean, they had to float you, to, you know, on your receivables, I would assume. Well, uh, for a while, until 90 days shows up, and then it's a bad debt with the bank. So oh. they won't loan against, you know, uh, any type of receivable that's over 90 days. So my banker, think about that. Yeah. So you're yeah. really a lot of times relying on those first thirds down on your new tooling. No, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no thirds. Oh, really? None. Zero. Absolutely no down payments. Oh my God. And that, that, th- th- this is what my banker told me. He goes, you're one of the most amazing guys I've ever met. He said, you hit your numbers every year. Always hit your numbers. And he said, you know what? He said, I don't know how in the devil you do it without a bank. I said, well, we did it for nine years without. We got it. We, we were the number one. Uh, I was the number one uh, customer with one bank for, for some time, probably about eight or ten years. And then automotive got, it really had its, it really had bad connotations throughout all of, you know, I mean, oh, you're an automotive. Oh, we don't want to deal with you. <laughs> so, you know, so you have to learn to live without them. And you really got to manage your money very closely. Wow. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, your customers are holding everything you have and you don't get it paid. I had one customer say, I said, look, you owe me a million bucks. I want to get paid. It's a year. Well, he says you want to get paid early. Oh, my he God. He says, I'll tell you what. Yeah. He said, this is what he told me. He says, I'll tell you what. Write me a check. For a hundred thousand bucks, and we'll pay it. Oh, so they want a kickback? Yep, that's absolutely true. This is all between like two thousand six and two thousand nine, and you know things are not going really good here in Michigan. Things are really going crappy as far as in the auto industry, and it just kept getting worse. And I, I tell you what, it, there's there's nothing like it. I mean. It's the toughest business, and you have to really, really be careful. But 
you, you, you know, your customers are your customers. They, they withstand the same heat, the same pressure as we did. Well, let know? me ask you, as we go to the next segment here, just to, for, yep. for, to put this in perspective, uh, you know, guys from around the world listen to this stuff that I want to have you guys on. And uh, how big, when you, when you, when you were at the, your largest, how big of a facility did you have? How many square footage? Well, uh, the mold shop, well, let's see, it was about 30,000 square feet. 30,000? Yep. Okay. And how about the tool shop? Well, that was a tool shop. The molding okay. company, they're both about the same. Okay. So you, is this all under one roof, too? Nope. Two different okay. buildings, two, two different names. So you're maintaining 60,000 square foot of buildings. Yep. Uh, did you own your own buildings? Yes, I did. You own the, so you own the buildings. You've got, yeah. uh, may I ask, uh, back in those days, uh, just for reference, uh, yearly sales. Yeah. Do you mind telling us what you were doing in sales? Yeah. Uh, we were we were doing uh, about $4 million in tooling, okay? And then molding, you know, would be anywhere from 8 to $12 million. So you're looking at about a $15 million a year company. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, at this point, yeah. um, just going by your age and the things you've told me, you're in your 50s, it sounds like now. And uh, yep. you've built quite a successful company. And uh, um, what happened next? Well, we, as we kept going closer to, you know, the great, the great, I call it the great recession, but more like a depression, um, things were really getting tougher and tougher. And I kept losing customers that would file bankruptcy. Well, I never got my money. And for the last two and a half years of that, I lost $2 million uh, to customers that went belly up and I couldn't get the money. That wasn't going to happen. You know, and it just, that would, I said, that's enough. I'm done. I said, I've had enough. And the last real straw was, <laughs> you know, I did, I was a tier one supplier to general motors and general motors. Uh, they were bailing out, you know, they were bailing, the government was bailing out general motors at the time and the Canadian government didn't want to put any money in it. So they made a deal with the U S that uh, they would put money into the Canadian auto business if uh, we would give them jobs. So they took 500 suppliers, Jim, that out of the 1,500 tier ones they had and sent all the work to Canada. And I just said, you know, I had enough. My country, this is how they think of me. <laughs> enough. I had enough of the pressure, enough of the, you know, just too much of it, you know, for too long. Very, very stressful business. Well, if I may get on my high horse, you know, one of the yeah. things that I think the younger generation sometimes doesn't realize how important toolmaking is to this country. And, oh. and to lose all that tooling to the Pacific Rim and to, to China. Yeah. And I'm sorry, yeah. folks, you know, China is not our friend. I don't want a war with China, you know, and I don't think the average Chinese person hates us. But that, that, is, that country is not a friend of ours. And someday we're going to need tool shops to, to gear up for something, God forbid, a war, and there's not going to be yeah. any left because kids got scared of this trade because they saw their uncles and their fathers and their dads and whatever. Uh, I know fathers and dads are the same thing. Nobody needs to correct me on that. Um, but lose their businesses or close their shops or get laid off. And like, why would I get into manufacturing? You know, it was such a yeah. great business, such a great business. So talk me, walk me through this. You're, you're, um, yeah, how old are you at this point now? You're how old? I, mean, when, I'm, I was, 
you know, basically when I closed my doors, I was 59 years old. 59. So you're 59 and you make the decision. I'm done. Yep. I said that's enough. And it's throughout Michigan. I mean, it's just like, you know, when you work in a company, the guys with the most seniority are the last to go. Well, there's mold shops here that are 50 years in business are closing their doors. 40 years. You know, we were almost 30 years. And something's wrong when that's going on. Something's really wrong. And because, you know, a, you know, a shop that's been around a couple of years or something, that's one thing. But being alone that long and being able to weather a lot of the storms. Um, 30, boy, just, 30 years is nothing to sneeze at. That's a long well, time. That's an established yeah. business. So, yeah, yeah. so Mark, then tell me, how, how does this work? I mean, you, you make the decision, I'm done. I mean, how bad was it? Did you have to have an auction or did you sell everything yeah. off? Yeah. yeah, we auctioned off. We auctioned, I, The sad part was, we, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that, you know, we did, we were doing, you know, roughly oh, about 14 or 15 million in sales at the time. I only had debt of $300,000. Okay, good. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's practically very, very minimal. So, but if you can't collect your receivables, that. You know, then you're just in going down, down, down. Right. Because that's all, that was all my operating capital. And, you know, it just comes to the point where you just say, enough's enough. So, Mark, what'd you, you know? walk away from? 30 years in business. What'd you walk away from with this and this, uh, this whole thing? I, mean, I walked you... away with, <laughs> I, I didn't walk away financially happy. I walked away with uh, a hell of a lot of experience, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, you know, school hard knocks, you know, Were you I, I thought, every, you know, Were I you... thought everybody was good, you know, good about paying their bills. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, did I learn. <laughs> Were you, how, 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 how emotionally uh, distraught, I mean, how tough was this for you? Well, you know, it's like anything else. You start in your garage and, you know, you, you make something into something and, you know, I mean, I never thought my garage growing a business into over a hundred employees was something I would ever do. Uh, but the whole thing was, it was, it was, it was certainly was difficult, but it also was a relief because not being, you know, not having to go through waiting at the mailbox, not having to go through trying to, you know, talk customers into paying their bills. You know, I mean, gosh, you got to hold them hostage to get paid. I mean, God, that's not fun. No, it's so stressful, and you know your lawsuits and oh, jeez, no. nightmares. So, Nightmare. so, yeah. So, ending, you know, the way that it ended, and said, did, you know, I you, took a year. Did, did, did yeah. you at least come out square? Hopefully, at least we're able to pay everything off and be done with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. and and you know, so you know, I we auctioned off the equipment, and sad part was we didn't get nearly nowhere near what we probably should have but no because nobody was starting tool shops back in the day when you when you closed your shop everybody was like a a young mark prezo or a young phil kerner we needed some stuff for our garage shop well those guys aren't doing it anymore so now that stuff is going for 10 cents on the dollar right yeah yeah that's right that's exactly right i did not have an auction when i closed my shop i did not have an auction i just piecemealed it off yeah you know, it was really, luckily I had bought most of my stuff used. So yeah. I, you know, I, I wasn't, yeah. gonna, but you know, again, $10,000 EDMs are going for $2,500. You yeah, know, you got it. Yep. Yep. 
Wow. Yeah, I had I had compound sign plates go for twenty bucks. Magnetic. Oh God. Yeah, it just yeah, just makes you sick to your stomach. But you know what? Hey, I've always lived in this trade. This is what I've always done. I still do it. It's it's the greatest thing I ever did in my life. I love it. Just like you, you're such an inspiration to me. You know, an old guy that's 50 years doing this, and I just, you know, I utilize your videos. I listen to you. I love listening to all the things you have to say. Because I'll tell you what, you said something the other day, and I and I had a couple apprentices I was showing your videos to, it, and he, you know, and I said Phil Kerner says, listen, if you're going to run a CNC, get on that basic Bridgeport and really learn what it's all about, and you'll be a much better CNC guy. And I told him, I said, I couldn't agree more. I said, I'm a real old school guy. And I, I follow this basic foundation will lead you to anything you can do. But I said, when we circumvent that, then you're missing out on a lot of stuff that you didn't get. Very funny story. Uh, one of my first apprentices, really bright kid. And uh, once I moved him up to CNC, he walked by yeah. one day and this thing, this end mill, half inch end mills is screaming. I said, Kyle. He says, how fast are you running this, this end mill? He's like, you know, 2,400 RPM. I said, Kyle, how fast did you run it on a bridge port? You know, 600. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I get we have yeah. coolant and a steady feed, and you can bump that everything yep. up a little bit. But yeah, you yeah. know, that's the point. You know, and, but he was like a smart kid. He, he, he never had oh, yeah. Once he figured out what yeah. I was saying, he got it. But um so what we're next you, you closed your shops you got over the trauma of yeah. that and what'd you do next i took a year off and I, I said look i gotta i gotta wind down from this thing and the stress my personality took on a whole different personality when i was in business because you know i had to i i, I came through being pretty tough tough education from my parents and from my teachers my grammar school and my college teachers and so i mean i I learned how to get tough and get tougher. And that's not who I really am. But so I unwound that and became, went back to my old regular personality guy. And I decided, well, you know, I'm going to go back to work. So I couldn't sit around and do nothing. I was, you know, that's just not me. So uh, I ended up working for a Chinese company. <laughs> of course. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I was a tooling engineer. Okay. For seven years. In China? So, no, here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah here, here near, near where I, I live. And, uh, but they decided they didn't want to build any more tools, so they let me go. And one of the tool shops I dealt with said, hey, if you ever leave there, call us. We'll hire you right now. And so I've been, when, been with another mold shop for the last two years. Okay. So, But I, I do their training. I'm an apprenticeship coordinator and training coordinator. How big of a shop is that? 100 guys. 100 tool makers? Our guys. That's a big yeah. shop. You ain't kidding. <laughs> People don't realize a ten or twelve man tool shop you can do real well with. That's not bad. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And and, and once you get over twenty five, you know you're getting up there. Forty is a big number. Sixty is yep. big, and over a hundred or around a hundred, you're you're that's that's about as big of a tool shop. And, and I know somebody might say, "Oh, I've seen them at a thousand. I don't know about you, <laughs> but most. Big tool shop, a hundred is a, a is a lot of tool makers, and they're still busy. That's amazing. What are they doing? Yeah. Well, they build rubber injection molds. Okay, so uh, that which is which is different than plastic. It's similar in some ways, 
but rubber likes heat, plastic likes cooling. Right. So, you know, you can apply the, the analogy and the technology. It's a similar technology, but not quite as intricate as plastics for sure. No, can't hold the shapes, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, you know, people ask me, what's the difference? I said, well. I said shapes. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in details, right? Right, right, exactly. One costs a lot more than the other. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know rubber molds are about, I can't remember. I think they used to be about, oh, boy maybe 30% of the cost of a, a plastic injection mold. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah pretty much. That was yeah. the rule of thumb back then. Yeah, now, yeah. You look back. What would you have yeah. done different? You had a great career. You sound like you're in good space mentally, emotionally, yeah. gone through a lot. Anything you would have done different with this whole career? Yeah, I, I really think uh, I should have studied more in high school. I didn't, I didn't even, I hardly even studied. I almost didn't graduate. But, you know, that doesn't mean I was not, you know, smart enough to do it. It's just, you know, with Vietnam hanging over your head, you just said, look, I got a few years here. Maybe I better enjoy it because all my buddies were going and they were, a lot of them didn't come back. Right. Right. So, so it changed your life and how you thought about things. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, but I still go back to my mom and dad and, you know, I had a grammar school teacher that was a Great influence on me. You know, and her birthday is Wednesday, and I go to visit her on her birthday. She's 87 years old, and uh, she was tougher than nails. Man, I'll tell you, she was tough. She taught by the practical way of learning. You know, four quarts in a gallon, here you go. Pour out the four quarts. I said there was five. She said, keep pouring. I said, what's going to run on the floor? And she said, yep. And I said, it's wet down there. And she says, yeah, it is. Guess what? How many courses take us? Four. She says, you get to mop the floor for two weeks after school. Nice. You'll never forget it. Yeah, she was fantastic. You yeah. know, and, it, and she was just that way. You just don't meet people like that. Well, now, and, you, uh, now you would get a participation trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a yeah, great story. I, I, it's a great story. Um, you've done so much, and you know people don't realize, you know, all those people you employed for all those years with these great wages, yeah. and you know, yeah. if their wives didn't need or spouses didn't need to work, they didn't have to. They could stay at home and raise the kids because they were making good money and yeah. overtime and health insurance. And you know, it's funny. The funny thing you said there towards the end was you had to take a year off and just be, become Mark again, right? Because you're, yeah, you know, exactly. Several years after I closed my tool shop, I ran into a guy that used to work with me, not for me, but he used to do some of my machine. Yeah. And he walked up to me. I hadn't seen him in oh, seven or eight years. He says, I can't believe the lack of stress on your face. <laughs> First words out of his mouth. Yeah. He says, you look like well, a completely different person. Yeah, my, like me, the stress, it, it cost me, you know, eating. You know, so I'd try to eat my way out of being depressed over things. Well, finally, I said that's enough. So I lost about sixty pounds and said that, that you know, I, you know, my health is not going to help me out with all that stress either. You know, but you learn to deal with it. It's a, it's tough. I, I think it's a great experience. You know, I'm not saying I wish I didn't do it, but you know, you're a motivated person. You got a lot of drive, determination. You're dedicated to your trade. You know, you have to try it. Well, I'm going to tell you what you just told tonight to me was a, a great American manu manufacturing story. And uh, this is the stuff I love to share. Um, I can't wait to uh, get this put together and out there. Mark, uh, I yeah. 
thank you personally, you know, for being, uh, being on the journeyman tonight. I really appreciate your, your honesty and your story is amazing. Phil, I can't wait to meet you someday. Uh, my, the students, uh, you know, and the apprentices I teach today are so impressed with you. And I tell them, I say, this is how the guys really were that I worked with. And there's so few, few between like you, very polished, very intelligent, very understanding. Uh, and I love the videos because you know what? They're not scripted. They're no. like we do. Every, they're, they're like we do every day. I watched how you picked up a block and the grinder. I said, hell, that's the same way I do it. <laughs> well, I, I call it real life manufacturing, right? And if you know, yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Well, you know yeah. what? Anytime you guys want to bring me up, all I need is some traveling costs, the hotel room, and I'll pick yeah. up with you guys. Okay, so talk to your boss. Love, love to have you. All Very right. Much. Well, again, yep. thank you for your time, and I can't wait to share this story. Yeah, thanks so much, Phil. All Take right. care. Good night. Bye-bye. Yep. Good night. Well, that was a great story. And the first thing I want to say is it takes a lot of courage to tell a story like that. And I really appreciate Mark Prezo for coming on and uh, telling his uh, story in manufacturing from the highs, uh, the, uh, the beginnings, to the highs, to the lows, and imagine what he went through. And that's what a lot of American manufacturers went through, but they probably don't want to uh, tell that final part, right? So that's why I'm here. And we're going to tell these stories. I'd like to say there's hundreds, but there's probably thousands. And there's probably millions of stories like this out there. Guys that uh, came up in this trade that had a dream and were really good with their hands. And uh, especially these guys, you know, they went to college and they, and they built something big and then to deal with the automotive industry so again i hope you enjoyed that there was a lot of um great information there a lot of what i would call um you know learning points i mean if you've ever thought about starting your own business um he touched on a lot of stuff that i've gone through myself so uh, again to mark thank you and uh, i appreciate you being on the broadcast tonight so if you'd like to uh, get uh, involved with the, what we're doing here, the journeyman, uh, right underneath this uh, link, there'll be a uh, way for you to get involved. If you'd like to be a sponsor of one of the programs or several, we can work that out. And uh, what we're going to do is tell the story of these craftsmen because they're disappearing. And I've got a, a couple great interviews coming up already ready to go. And we're going to tell this story uh, again and again. And it's a story worth telling. So I'm Phil Kerner, the tool and die guy. This is the journeyman. We're going to take it out tonight with a little bit of a homegrown Erie, Pennsylvania music by Ron Eros and the vehicle. We'll see you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.